Bills in my seventh year of professional football with the Baltimore Colts. And my brother had walked up to me with a massive black and blue mark on his chest. Our trainer saw that, sent him to the doctors for a blood test. And that night I got a call from Johns Hopkins Hospital to bring him there right away. And upon admitting him into the hospital, the doctor pulled me inside and said, listen, uh, your brother's got cancer. It's a type of cancer where there's virtually nothing we could do for him. And I remember just being absolutely devastated at that moment, thinking about losing one of the people I love the most in this entire world. Where can you turn when you're in pain? Turn to Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, where more high school, college, and pro athletes turn, where your neighbors and weekend warriors turn where you'll get immediate access to expert orthopedic specialists, physical therapy, and imaging at 15 convenient locations throughout the greater Cincinnati area. When you're in pain, turn to Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine and get superior care on your schedule. Visit beaconortho.com to schedule your appointment. That's the Beacon difference. Joe, thank you uh, for taking time out of your uh, busy schedule. You know, with all the, the the work that you're doing to join, you know, myself and, and Kyle here on the Underdog Podcast. Great to be with you. Absolutely. As I mentioned before we started recording, you know, your your book was gifted to me, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, and it was definitely had an impact on me. Um, you know, just before kind of the pandemic started, and as I mentioned, your book's all marked up when you read through it because there was just so many knowledge nuggets and things that you could take away. Um, and so. To get us kicked off, uh, I want to read a quote and then have you kind of take us back to this moment in time. Um, the quote is, I tried a few locker room style pep talks in the early days of his illness, but soon forsook those empty words. Touch became our main form of communication because of my stunned emotional vocabulary. I think we both knew where and how it was going to end. Um, can you take us back to 1978 uh, in those last days with your brother and how that really redefined your you know, life's meaning and led you to what we now know as your, your life's work today? Yeah, I'd be glad to, uh, to go back to 1978. It was the, uh, the early July of that season. I was in training camp. I was in my seventh year of professional football with the Baltimore Colts. And my brother had walked up to me with a massive black and blue mark on his uh, chest. Our trainer saw that, sent him to the doctors for a blood test. And that night I got a call from Johns Hopkins Hospital to bring him there right away. And upon admitting him into the hospital, the doctor pulled me inside and said, listen, uh, your brother's got cancer. It's a type of cancer where there's virtually nothing we could do for him. And I remember just being absolutely devastated at that moment, thinking about losing one of the people I loved the most in this entire world. And that would start this long journey. He would spend five months uh, in a pediatric oncology floor. Uh, I had a cot put in next to his bed and spent a, a great many nights uh, trying to help him make it through the night. I'd get up, go to practice, uh, come back, have dinner with him, and then spend the evenings with him. Uh, five months he was there. Five months I spent in a uh, waiting room with other parents and family members that were losing 
of children to the various uh, uh, cancers. And uh, finally, it was the last uh, week of the, the last game of the season. My brother was down to his last day or two on this earth, and I made a decision to uh, bring him home to my house in Baltimore so he could die in the presence of the people that had loved and nurtured him. And I'll never forget wheeling him out of that hospital quarter, knowing he was going to an almost instant death, but not wanting him to pass away in the middle of the night in a hospital room. I put him in my car and I drove over to the stadium. My teammates were preparing for that last game of the season. They came out and lifted this defensive lineman, maybe 110, 150 pounds, 15 pounds, uh, brought him into the locker room. I undressed him. We put him in a whirlpool. And as he soothed an aching body one at a time, my teammates uh, said goodbye to him in a clandestine way. Took him home that night and um, had his dog and his friends come down from Buffalo, our hometown, and um, celebrated this early Christmas only to watch him die the next morning. Five months to prepare for that death, but the reality and the finality was just uh, devastating to me, and it, uh, it was the beginning of a long, uh, transformative journey of trying to find my, uh, my path, and that was the very beginning of that. Can you talk about that transformation early on and finding, you know, how do we live our life on purpose? Um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, transformational versus transactional and really kind of dive into the book a little bit. Yeah, well, I think all of us have these existential questions of, you know, who am I, why am I here? Uh, I think they can lie dormant for a long time, but there's times in life where we get focused on answering those. Uh, my brother's death was that moment for me. Uh, my life had been dictated. I had uh, challenges as a, as a boy, uh, challenges growing up. Uh, I have a, a father wound, uh, which came from a, uh, a dysfunctional relationship with my own father. Uh, you know, I've been in and around the NFL for almost 50 years now, and I'm convinced the number one common denominator of professional athletes, uh, uh, professional football players for sure, is father-son dysfunction. Uh, to create this pathological drive for... Um, approval uh, uh, for some kind of acceptance and it's pathological because you don't care what the cost is to you, your wife, your family, your kids, you're going to validate yourself probably from someone that didn't have that to begin with you. So anyhow, I, I have my own ongoing relational injuries and deficit like a great number of men from that father wound and uh, but I always found uh, my sense of identity, my sense of meaning in my football career. And at the time, uh, that was probably the most important thing to me because uh, that was a place where I could prove and validate my own masculinity, my own uh, manhood. And my brother's death uh, pulled that rug out from under me so I no longer really measure my life based on how I performed on any given Sunday. I started having to find a whole new understanding and uh, how to get grounded in life. 
and uh, get off of the narrow, uh, egotistical, need-driven path I was on and how to expand and, and try to find my own understanding of what my own uh, noble purpose is in life. Yeah, and just to put in perspective, those that don't know Joe's career, it'd be easy to, I guess, be somewhat egotistical. You were, after a great career at Syracuse, um, you were drafted in the first round of the 1973 draft as the 10th pick uh, there in Baltimore Col- Colts for from 73 to 80, and then part of the silver rush for the Detroit Lions in 81 and 82, and then had some other stints in different leagues from there on. So you had a, a tremendous uh, career growing up, so obviously it, it would be easy to maybe get off the path of, of not being self-aware and having – ego uh, approach into your life similar to what we had with Daryl Strawberry we had Daryl Strawberry on our podcast and he extremely got lost into the identity of just being a major league baseball player and it sounds like that happened with yourself to a certain degree so um, I guess moving on you know transforming yourself from uh, an identity of of a football player into life and obviously your brother helped at that moment transition us from your NFL career, as, as Calvin said, into um, the next stage of your life? Well, uh, again, these, uh, these questions, uh, the big questions of life popped up. And uh, about two years after my brother's death, I enrolled in seminary. So the last five years I played, I uh, went to seminary in my off-season, uh, um, retired, finished up seminary, and then started an urban ministry in, uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, but it was on this quest. And I think, uh, you know, I was ordained in 1987, and my path has taken me away from uh, a, a strictly a religious path. I think the path of all religions should lead to some kind of spirituality, some kind of transformation. Spirituality has to do with the quest for self-transcendence. How do I move beyond my own self-fixation, my own self-aggrandizement, to be about something bigger than who and what I am? So uh, that was a journey. Uh, You know, there's a 5,000-year history of uh, of transformative uh, religions, powers, uh, practices, uh, historically and globally. And and they all have to do a similar path of self-understanding. All of us need to make sense out of our own life narrative. The second one is having self-compassion. Uh, most of us are our, our, our biggest critics. We all have that inner critic, that judge uh, up in our mind. Uh, we allow that person to talk to us in a way that we never allow another human being to talk to us. So it's self-understanding, self-compassion, some sense of, uh, of, of mindfulness, learning how to be present, not so much past or or, uh, future-oriented, and then being able to uh, walk in in life with this non-dualistic view of life. So anyhow, that's that's what the journey became for me, and which continues to this day. What spawned the Inside Out Initiative? Well, uh, the Inside Out Initiative, uh, you know, while it's been a life uh, a journey for me, you know, this quest for purpose, for understanding our purpose, has, has many different missions. 
until you finally really come to some understanding of what your, your higher purpose is. But in 2014, I had been invited by Roger Goodell to uh, come to the NFL office. There had been a spike of uh, domestic violence, sexual assault cases uh, directed uh, at the, and perpetrated by you know, police accusations by NFL players. Uh, Roger Goodell had put together a uh, advisory committee of trying to figure out how do you get on the preventative or curative side of this. Many of them were, were women from large national DB or sexual assault organizations. But in the midst of that meeting, Roger turned to me and uh, asked me if I would speak to coaching character. In the context, can we coach character in a way that would be preventive, uh, that would uh, start to eradicate uh, not only these issues uh, that are in the NFL, but certainly in every community in this country. And my immediate response was, no, I don't think so. One, uh, you can't build uh, healthy masculinity. Uh, um, you can't build moral character on a faulty masculinity. Uh, so you really can't do this until you redefine and rethink what it means to be a man. And the second thing is, in high school and youth space today, there's, there's no... There's no time. Everything's become uh, measured by the scoreboard. Uh, and church education really doesn't work. Um, and all of our characters learn. Uh, therefore, it can be taught, but it can't be learned if it's not modeled. Coaches are the curriculum. So anyhow, uh, I responded to Roger. No, I don't think so. And I realized how impotent my view of, of sports had become. So the initiative was on this quest of how do we create systemic change? What is the role of athletics uh, in education? Why do we have high school sports connected to uh, high school? What, what is the highest value purpose of that? So currently we're in 17 states. We work through state uh, athletic associations, educational uh, associations. Uh, uh, all of sports ought to be about uh, teaching and learning. It's about human growth and development to guide, nurture, and train young people. We've got to move away from this elitism and uh, scoreboard-driven measurements of success and integrate it more into the human growth and development of young people, which produces healthy masculinity as a pathway to reconciling many of America's most entrenched and difficult issues. Yeah, and, and just to how revel, re, relevant this is, just recently, and there's a lot more than the, just this, but um, an alcohol situation with uh, former Bucks wide receiver Vincent Jackson uh, recently found dead in a hotel. And then this morning, just as of this morning, a, mul a murder, so you're talking about violence and drugs and substance abuse, uh, Travis Rudolph this morning, former Giants receiver and Florida State alumni uh, in multiple murders. I mean, you look at how like you said, the man up or the masculinity or the real issue that Roger Goodell obviously brought you into New York to help with the organization. It is very much uh, a challenge. I think more than ever, maybe it just wasn't as publicized previously with the National Football League, but it is very much apparent. Uh, you saw Junior Seau with suicide. The list goes on, right? Aaron Hernandez. What is, Joe, you know, what, what, what can be done, right? What can be put into work? Obviously, having more folks like yourself 
more education, more awareness, but what things can be done to avoid situations like this morning? Well, um, you know, those are, those are deeply systemic uh, issues uh, embedded with all kinds of, it's going to take a collective action. Uh, I, I think everybody's got to kind of pull together uh, in order to start utilizing sports in a way that can uh, uh, impact these issues. They're not an NFL or professional sports organization issue. Those are the issues of America. Like men are the perpetrators of violence. Men are also sure. the primary solution uh, to curing this. But there needs to be a commitment to some kind of process. And I think, you know, and this is much of my work, is how do you use sports to really develop a healthy masculinity? Uh, every boy, every man has spent all these lives. We spend a lifetime trying to validate or prove our masculinity, uh, only to find that it's, it's a never-ending quest if you have the wrong uh, definition. So somewhere, I think all of our communities, our youth organizations, our high school, there needs to be focused on a developmental purpose. So much of my work is what we call purpose-based athletics. And that is connecting student athletes. Uh, we call all, we don't call them players, they're all student athletes from pre adolescence throughout adolescence. Uh, education is a social capital you need to participate in America today. Education is going to be the resolution of many of our uh, issues in this country. So uh, it's connecting student athletes to transformational coaches and a culture of belonging for the human growth and development. So what we're doing is training coaches how to develop secure relationships where every player, every student athlete is seen safe, secure, and supported. That's where the transformative power is, learning that you belong. It's not you boys don't have to earn or prove their masculinity. They're already male. Sports isn't a proven ground. It ought to be a developmental ground. Then we can start uh, eradicating many of these issues and when you look at what's become evident uh, to all of America, I think given uh, COVID-19 uh, discrepancies and disparities and health, ed education, economic, and, and then you look at Black Lives Matter, the not just police brutality, but unresolved, unaddressed uh, issues, issues of systemic racism. Uh, we've got to start pulling together as a nation to start addressing these issues, and they're not going to be... Uh, you know, delivered through programs, uh, we're going to have to really come together as a nation. And that historically is a role of, uh, of athletics, always been a metaphor for social change. You think of how in my lifetime, how sports have helped to integrate uh, people of every race, ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic background into sports in America. And I think we need to reclaim a higher purpose for both youth sports and our interscholastic sports and serving our communities and having pro-social value that not only benefits the, the student athletes to participate, but benefits the community and the country as well. Yeah, and we, we heard that just real quick, Bill Curry, right? Yeah. Um, the huddle, the huddle metaphor of um, great coach Bill Curry, who was on our podcast as well, talking about it doesn't matter if you're black, white, purple, you know, yellow, what, whatever race, ethnicity, person, but when you're in that huddle, you're on that field, all that goes away to your standpoint, how sports can bring, and then the communities as well. 
I mean, anyone that's been part of a team that has been really successful shouldn't be dictated on success, but it seems like when they go on these runs, whether it's high school sports or even in, in Little League or something like that, the community really bands together. Once again, they're there to cheer on the team, not worried about politics or you know, other issues that are going on, systemic issues. It's more of, hey, how do we work together to support our community and our kids and uh, enjoy that moment? So hopefully, like you said, it, it becomes more about that than individual stat lines and, you know, self selfless um, or selfish, I should say, versus an ego. So, yeah. Well, we're failing our kids by not doing that. Mm-hmm. You look at the almost 70-some percent dropout rate of youth sports at the age of 12 years old. Mm. We're not using it as a developmental tool that it needs to be both individually and, uh, and culturally in this country. And the challenge, and Bill, I love Bill to death, he's a Baltimore Colt, but the, the challenge is uh, we experience in the locker room, but then you've got to take that out of the locker room and understand when you leave that locker room, there are two separate and unequal worlds that are taking place amongst us as teammates. And you've got to learn how to bring that into your social, economic, political worldview. How do we act, uh, how do we educate? Because really a locker room, uh, they, they, they position people to be anti-racist because uh, you know when you hear something about well, all those black people, all those white people, you know that's not true because of the experiences that uh, we had in the locker room. That ought to be true on the, uh, the elementary levels and the high school levels as well. Tremendous opportunities that were uh, not fully taken uh, advantage of. How do you tell if someone is open to um, the inside and out approach? You know, are there any specific questions or um, that you could ask someone to to really kind of gauge, you know, how they feel in their approach? Yeah, well, the fundamental principle is that to be a better coach, you have to be a better you. It's really be about a better human being. It's not more X's and O's. There are four fundamentals and questions in the uh, book that every coach uh, really needs to respond to and answer with, uh, with integrity. The first question is, why do you coach? Why do you coach? Is it about you or is it about your players? Two types of coaches, you're either transactional, you're using young people for your own validation, your own identity, some kind of extrinsically motivated need, or you're going to be transformational. You're using the power, the platform of being a mentor in front of young people to help change the arc of every one of those young people. So everybody ought to have a clear, distinct statement about why you coach. When I coach, my coaching purpose was I coach to help boys become men of empathy and integrity who would lead, be responsible, and change the world for good. That means that every day I had to understand what my purpose was. Now, I had goals. The goals were, you know, to be the best team, to win our league, to do the best we can. But that wasn't the purpose. So why do you coach? Second question is why do you coach the way that you do? Are you coaching to achieve a higher purpose or are you just merely the coaching the way that you were coached? The third question is what does it feel like to be coached by you? You think of all the pressure that young people are under today, economic pressure, performance pressure, peer pressure, sexual pressure, parental pressure. 
They got all this pressure in their lives every single day, compounded by media and likes and dislikes. And then they walk at the end of the day, they walk onto your field. What does it feel like for that young person to have you as a coach? And we've got to be empathic. We've got to understand how challenged we were as young people, the pressures that were on us and understand what it's like to be in that 12, 14, 16-year-old boy's shoes today. So what does it feel like to be coached by you? And then the last question is, how are you going to define success? Uh, what is the definition of success? So I can't say I coach to help boys become men of empathy and integrity, lead, be responsible, change the world for good, and then define success based on a win-loss record or Division One scholarships or state championships, my definition of success has to flow out of my purpose. So it comes down to bigger things than winning a loss and individual achievement. Did I create lifelong memories? Did young people learn how to manage and control their emotions and regulate them and express them? Did they get better in the game? You just got to have these intrinsic motivations as part of your definition of success. So those are four fundamental questions that come out of all of our own life narratives. Many of us had transactional coaches. But some of us had transformational coaches. But all of us get back into the game for some kind of reason. And what sports does is it creates a context for you as a coach to look some young person in the eye and say, I see this in you. You have this potential. You have this capacity. I can just tell this about you. And that's the power to transform self-concept, self-efficacy in life. And it's about that, uh, that coach-mentor uh, relationship. And think about this, Calvin. I don't know. And Joe, I, I just, while you're talking, I'm visualizing all of my coaches throughout my years, which is hundreds, but there's one that sticks in my mind. And he was, his name was Coach Kurt Wolf. And uh, he was a he taught me life lessons and we were a really good team, but he focused on us as people and developing us as, you know, uh, he, he followed us from sixth, seventh and eighth grade basketball. And then he was in baseball too. Uh, and he really focused on us as developing us as young, you know, males in, in showing us how important academics and just being a good person and, and treating with respect and all those things. And I remember him the most, and he still texts me to this day. I moved out of there you know, seven or eight, you know, he just texts me for, for Easter. So it's, I think those are coaches, right. That you develop relationships and they care about you as a person more than as a, Hey, let's win seventh grade championship. Um, and I think that's, we have a lot of coaches that listen to our podcasts and I think hopefully anyone that's listening, that's a coach or, or anyone that's just a male in general. Right. We're not, but I think coaching, there's so much pressure that coaches put on themselves, even at an early age, on their players just to be, you know, win, win at all costs versus, hey, let's develop what is right. If you show up late, you know what? You shouldn't start, right? <laughs> right? Even though you're the best player, you shouldn't start. And then you should maybe even run suicides. Well, I, right? take, I take that too as far as, as, as you said earlier, Joe, uh, you know, one of the most biggest, one of the biggest dysfunctions or issues is having that father figure. So, Again, taking what you these coaches are applying on the field, but as being a, a father of two young children, being able to implement that into my everyday life to making sure I'm transformational in their life. So 
I use the book for not only for, you know, for, from the coaching aspect, for also for the parenting side as well. So I guess last question for me, what are your thoughts on parent coach relationships? Well, uh, you know, I coached my kids uh, through Little League, coached both of my boys through uh, high school football, and uh, I never had a, an issue, and I, I think they would say we never had an issue together because I already had a philosophy that was built on coaching every player like they were my sons. You know, the, Eddie Gramblin, the Hall of Fame coach from uh, Gramblin, once said you ought to coach every player like they're going to become your son-in-law. I think there's a lot of truth to that as well, but it is about the human growth and development. We also had coaches that coached their kids that didn't have, do near as well. If you're going to be a parent coach, you've got to have some kind of accountability. You've got to have a clear understanding of what your purpose is, uh, understand the difference between a purpose and a goal, and then... Um, you really need accountability to do that. Make sure you're not being pref uh, uh, preferential to your own child. and Try not to coach your child's position, I think, is always a good idea as well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, ready to get to the to the to the last session we usually have a rapid fire hot seat we don't have a i think a, a ton of hot seat questions but i'll, I'll kick it off yeah. this is maybe not a rapid fire but um you have an illustrious i guess career with receiving recognition and, and well deserved and i was curious maybe what one of these awards that maybe stick out or mean the most to you so you were yeah, there's a lot more than that this but i'll name a few uh baltimore court colts man of the year NFL's first, and I say first, Mr. Black. First. Ed Block Courage Award, which is a big deal recipient. Um, the Most Important Coach in America by Parade Magazine. Um, you have a book that's a New York Times bestseller, Season of Life, A Football Star, A Boy, A Journey to Manhood. Um, amongst others, you've been uh, Fatherhood Initiatives Man of the Year by the NFL, or the National, I'm sorry, uh, by Frederick Douglass, Man of the Year as well. So, on and on and on. What what award, Joe, I guess maybe means the most or sticks out to you? Um, well, I'm, I'm honored to receive any of those, but I would say uh, being part of the building of a Ronald McDonald House in Baltimore following the death of my brother. Uh, we had enough notoriety uh, being a Baltimore coat uh, that when he died, it brought together a group of people that had uh, really built this magnificent uh, building. And now it's now up to a 57-bedroom house. It served tens of thousands of people around the world. That was, uh, I'm most proud of that because that was such a team effort. Uh, that wasn't about me. It wasn't about my brother. It was a group of people that had spirit and heart. And uh, I'm most, a part of, uh, most proud of that. And, and it's probably the, the team thing I've enjoyed the most in my entire life. Yeah, I have another one here for you. Go, Go ahead. a little football slash lacrosse here. So Syracuse um, that I learned because I'm a Browns fan, Jim Brown, the great Jim Brown, who's still alive doing, doing things with the Browns as well. But he was a football and a lacrosse player at Syracuse, and you were as well. So I guess the question is, <laughs> it's hard to maybe phrase this 
Jim Brown versus Joe lacrosse. I don't know how, I know he was really good. I know you lettered in lacrosse. You're both great football players. Are you the only other two? I guess the question would be, are you, was that common back then? And there's there other players that did both or are you two of the, two of the, the top? Well, uh, number one, uh, I would never compare myself to Jim (laughs) Brown in any athletic event. uh, Just to set that record straight. And uh, no, there was a great tradition of Syracuse football player, lacrosse players. Uh, Hall of Fame tight end John Mackey played lacrosse in Syracuse. Both him him and Jim Brown were from Long Island and had sticks put in their hands at uh, at a very early age. So... It was back in a time when you could do that, and there's such complimentary uh, uh, sports as well. But Jim Brown, uh, actually, because of racism in the day, Jim Brown went to Syracuse University on a partial lacrosse, not a football scholarship. Was later awarded the uh, football scholarship. Was recruited up there by Roy Simmons Sr., who had been there forever. And uh, his son uh, is the Hall of Fame lacrosse coach and played with Jim Brown at that time. Yeah, wow, that's incredible to think yeah. about that. The, and I, I'm going to say it, maybe, I, I believe it. Jim Brown's the best running back to play ever over anyone. But I'll just leave that there. Um, but, yeah, it's amazing to, uh, to understand that he was on a partial scholarship. <laughs> wow, yeah. that just boggles my mind. Whew. I did not know that. Well, he, that, was, yeah. that was interesting. Yeah, our trainer, you know, had been the, well, um, you know, Jim Brown averaged almost 10 points a game at the, in basketball. Hmm. He arguably is the greatest lacrosse player in the history of the game. And, um, yeah, just an unbelievable athlete. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we watch his film. I, I, I need to go back and try to find some lacrosse film, but him running the football, I mean, it's just like beast mode 24-7. I mean, my man just – Absolutely. This, he's incredible. I mean, he was just talking about a great athlete. But, yeah, and a multi-sport athlete. I think that yeah. what makes my perspective of him being such – I mean, you talk about, like like Joe said, being the best lacrosse player maybe ever. And he's he's dropping buckets in basketball. He probably could crush a baseball. I mean, who knows, you know, what, what, the, man could what do. the man could do. But he well, – he, uh, he was Jim Thorpe in track, just a builder legend. <laughs> Did the field events, he ran. I mean, he, yeah, he was just unbelievable. When somebody's that much better than everybody else in their era, it's just really remarkable. Yeah, yeah. What, what is, better. you've been on the, uh, sorry, I'm hogging all the no, hot questions here. It's all you. But we talked uh, off off the podcast. You had the opportunity to work with uh, Aerotech, who's one of the largest in our industry in the staffing world. Um, you've worked with a ton of you know, you've been TED Talks and different things. What is um, maybe a top experience that you've been able to speak at or uh, present in front of during your time of, of leadership uh, speaking? Uh, great question. Uh, I think the thing that comes off the top of my mind is, is going to um, uh, uh, the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, I was fortunate to be part of a documentary called The Mask You Live In, How America Is Failing uh, Its Boys. It's a 90-minute documentary on the socialization of boys and the men. And uh, that was, that was uh, again, um, 
I, I like the team things. I like being part of rather than being the whatever. You're, you're never that. But Sundance was uh, cool in that uh, documentary. Uh, it's on Netflix. You can watch that for free. It's the mask you live in. And it's the story of how every man in America, every boy in America is forced to put this mask on and get so conformed to our face, our identity, hiding our true self that many of us can't get this mask off. And uh, really, we need, uh, you know, boys that are putting on masks every day, and we need to figure out how to help them. That's awesome. Not put that on. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, all right, last question. We always end with this. I tried to let Kyle ask it once before, and he butchered it, so I'll ask. Yeah, another another Baltimore guy, John Harbaugh. So I'm one and done, Joe. So, um, so we ask all of our guests this at the end. Uh, and before you answer the question, we'd like for you to uh, help us make it happen. So the question is, who is one guest that we should have on the Underdog Podcast? What a great question. Um, <laughs> Uh, I invite Jeffrey Marks. Jeffrey Marks? He's the, Jeffrey Marks is the author of Season of Life. And uh, he was a young boy, a ball boy uh, that I befriended. He was, I don't know what he was, nine, ten years old. He became our ball boy all the way from, uh, you know, his elementary school to graduating from Northwestern University in journalism. He won the Pulitzer Prize for... Uh, uh, he broke the story on the Kentucky basketball uh, uh, scandal uh, back in the 80s and um, traveled with Carl Lewis for a number of years. And, uh, anyhow, I wrote that New York, best time, New York Times bestseller and really one of the most, I, I think, one of the most impactful books of the last uh, 20 years of season of life. And I think you'd probably enjoy talking to him as with your audience. Awesome. Yeah, no, appreciate it. We definitely will uh, we make a note of that and we'll definitely circle back to him. And, um, you know, if you're w open and willing to help us make that connection, uh, that would be definitely greatly appreciated. So, um, but with that, you know, brings us to the end, but wanted to, again, say thank you very much for, for taking time to, to share your knowledge. Um, again, your life's work, your story, um, with, with myself and, and Kyle and our audience. Uh, again, you've been so impactful on me just from your book and, and following what you do. So, again, thank you for, uh, very much from myself as well. Yeah, well, let's make sure real quick. He, oh, he actually did. So, was a, so he did mark it up. So it's he, marked up. I, I had to do a proof of uh, evidence here. So, Keep yeah, you, get, oh, you yeah. do got a lot. Yeah. So he did read your book. I had, to, <laughs> I had to make sure he wasn't lying to us. So, no, we uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, how we always also ask, how can – uh, folks either buy your book, uh, follow you online, anything where they can do to, to engage with you. Yeah. Uh, books at Amazon, uh, inside out initiative.org is a website and, uh, yeah, that'll get you to Twitter and all that stuff. But, uh, thank you. It was a pleasure to meet both of you and, uh, thanks for doing what you do and keep spreading the good news. Absolutely. We, we definitely will. Thank yeah. you very much yeah. for your time. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. All right. It. Yeah. Peace. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.